0: Please turn in the precious Word of God to Romans chapter 8. Every Word of God is pure. Amen. We don't want to add to them, right. nor do we want to take away from them. Right. We delight in what we have. I read to you five verses, the 19th through the 23rd. Romans chapter eight. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same In hope. Because the creature itself. Also. Shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Into the glorious liberty. Of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation. Groaneth and travaileth. In pain. Together. Until now. And not only they. But ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Amen, amen and amen. These are fantastic verses. Amen. And I believe the Lord has given us a clear view of them though they be considered some of the more difficult verses in the New Testament. And I hope that I can declare them plainly to you. In this particular section, I do not care how long I take. In this particular section, I want to go more carefully in proving why we believe what we do about these five verses. In some places, I will tell you, what the Scriptures mean, and we'll pass on, because that's preaching. To read in the book and the law of God distinctly and give the sense and cause them to understand the reading. In this section, I want you to know a little bit more so that you can defend why we believe what we believe about this passage. I thank God for every word of it. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth. For the manifestation of the sons of God. There may be little connecting words in there, but every word of substance in that sentence is beautiful, glorious, powerful. And it reveals to us incredible information, facts and knowledge and truth that we should delight in. We arrived at this verse by having the apostle introduce sonship to us in the 14th verse. When he said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And this is the first mention of such a wonderful thing as being a son of God. This is not mere redemption or mere justification or mere sanctification or mere propitiation. This is adoption. This is the highest capstone of our salvation right here. He goes on to explain. Because we haven't received the spirit of bondage like they did in the Old Testament to fear. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then he moves into inheritance of something coming in the future. And this is important to understand the 19th verse. Why is the 19th verse there with a coordinating conjunction beginning it in the word for? In 17, we have the logical argument made, and if children, then heirs. If God has adopted us as his children, then we have an inheritance coming from that same being who adopted us, who is our father. God has an inheritance for us. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God, because we're the sons of God, that means we have to be, by necessity, the heirs of God. And whatever he owns. Joint heirs with Christ, because Christ is also a son of God with an inheritance. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Jesus Christ is our joint heir, or we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, of God and the inheritance of his estate, which is decent. I speak as a fool to get your attention. If so be that we suffer with him, which the Romans were, we shall be glorified together with him. Jesus Christ is crowned and glorified at the right hand of God, and we will be crowned and glorified at the right hand of God as well. I preached that to you when we covered those verses. So there in verse 17, we have glory mentioned, glorified together with Christ. Then verse 18 from last Sunday, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There is so much glory coming in us, to us, through us, involving us, that any suffering that a person can go through in this present time is not worthy to be compared to it. Whether it's the suffering of self-denial or whether it's the suffering of martyrdom. It's not worthy to be compared to the glory that's coming. This is future glory. It is first given to us in the 17th verse, glorified together with Christ. Then it's given to us again in the 18th verse, that it far excels any suffering that we can endure. And then we come to the 19th verse, which is an explanation and a support, and is going to tell us some future things that are coming to heighten, Your appreciation of the amount of glory that is coming. It is not the certainty of the glory. The apostle is not trying to establish proof that there is going to be future glory for the elect. He is trying to show the superiority, the excellence, the superabounding nature of that glory so we can mock sufferings whether they be self-denial or persecution, afflictions or any other trouble that we experience in life. So he is going to tell us in five verses about a future event that exalts the glory that we're going to participate in. There's where we are. Romans 8, verse 19. I hope I made myself plain from the context. We shall be glorified together with Christ. Read about his glory in the book of the Revelation. It is yours by inheritance as a joint heir with him. He said, you're going to be sitting with me in my throne. He said, you're going to be holding a rod of iron that I hold. We've got the same scepter. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Of course, he is our preeminent brother. But I'm going to preach the Bible the way it is given to us. He shall have all the preeminence in heaven. He secured that place for us. We are just beneficiaries. But so is he. Don't ever forget that the Lord Jesus Christ is a man. And God has exalted him far above all principalities and powers and everything that is named in this world and the world to come. And we're going to be exalted right there with him. This is the truth of the gospel. This is why we assemble in places like this throughout the world to read the written revelation from heaven about the future of the universe and our role in it. And it's a starring role beside the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the most unbelievable thing that has ever happened. Or shall happen. The coordinating conjunction for that opens this verse tells us That there is an event that's going to justify the previous two verses describing the glory that we're going to receive in the future. Paul introduced future glory in the 17th. He described it again in the 18th as future glory that will excel, far excel, any sufferings that we put up with. He's going to illustrate that in this 19th through 23rd verses. And I love his... I love the plan that he is pursuing in these verses. He's not proving future glory. He's exalting future glory. He's trying to get it up high enough for you to appreciate it so that the little things that trouble you in life, your water heater going out, getting two red lights in succession, will not bother you so much because of what's here. Four. The earnest expectation. Earnest is an adjective that describes being serious, as opposed to trifling. It's usually used in an emphatic sense, meaning intensely serious. And there are plenty of Bible verses to show you how the Bible uses the word earnest when it is an adjective, not a noun. We have an earnest of our inheritance. Just hold on to verse 23 for that one. But we are to be earnest about our inheritance. We should have an earnest expectation because this creature has an earnest expectation. And the expectation is the action of waiting. It's the action or state of waiting or awaiting something to happen. It's mentally looking for someone or something to come. It's forecasting something to happen or anticipating that event. It's a preconceived idea or opinion that there is something coming that's worth waiting for. That's an expectation. And this creature here has an earnest expectation. This combination Paul used in Philippians 1.20 when he said that it will be according to my earnest expectation. He's describing Jesus Christ defending him and delivering him while he's in prison. It's just the other place in the Bible where these two words are used in combination. For the earnest expectation. These are human terms that identify our feelings toward a good event that we're waiting for. That we expect to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And we are seriously, intensely serious, waiting for it. These are human terms. And they cause a little bit of confusion as people enter into the 19th verse. Because they are human emotions and a human thing. A human action of fervently waiting for something that they mentally know is going to happen. And because of that, it throws some off track. The reason it throws them off track is we have a personification in this verse or a collective noun. And I'm going to prove it in a moment in the creature. The creature is singular because it's collective for all creatures within a category. It's a personification of what is described in verse 22 as the whole creation. Now I've just taught the men by the coordinating providence of God about some figures of speech and personification is when personal attributes, things that describe a person are used to describe an abstract or material thing, we use personifications when we speak of Mother Nature. You know, a storm is bursting outside your house and someone says, Mother Nature is very angry. Well, you know, that's kind of pagan, but it's, it's a personification of the force of nature that God's behind. A person could say that, and they're not an idolater, they're just kind of misguided. I just love to hear the Lord whispering when it's thundering outside my house. Right. But we, th- we use this in our nation. Mother Nature, Father Time, Uncle Sam, Lady Liberty. Liberty isn't a lady. Uh, Liberty isn't a lady holding a balance in her hand. Or a torch. That's just personifying Liberty in our nation so that as immigrants came here from Europe they would see that symbol given to us by France of our nation Uncle Sam there's no uncle named Sam it's just US for United States and Uncle Sam wears red, white and blue and he wants you and so we embody our government especially in times of military action with this person named Uncle Sam. Or we have this black cloaked guy with a sickle named Father Time. This is a personification. It's called the creature. And this creature has an earnest expectation which makes it sound very human. There is no necessity when you find human qualities describing a noun like this in the Bible to automatically assume that it has to be a person. right? Because if you do that, then have you ever read the Old Testament? And I read to you from a few places. 96.12 of Psalms is the first place I read to you that uses words like this. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Before the Lord, for He cometh. Or, we can go to Psalm 65 and verse 12. And it sounds like this. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. Can you see the little hills rejoicing? The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Or, Isaiah 55 and 12, and this is the last one I'll read, and there are so many of them, they cannot be listed easily. Isaiah 55 and 12, For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That is personifying elements of an agricultural community of fields and little hills and flocks and herds and trees singing, rejoicing and clapping their hands. Here we have the creature with an earnest expectation. And we need now to answer the question, what is the creature? And here's where we must spend some time. This is the issue. What is the creature? Some say it's the fallen angels. I'm trying to figure out recently, is it more foolish to think that we came from baboons or to think that this is the fallen angels? Except I'm speaking about two different categories of men, but they all worship the same thing, human understanding. Some say it's the good angels. Some say it's the Jews. Some say it's the Gentiles. Some say it's all humanity. Some say it's the regenerate converted elect. Some say it is the material universe. What do we say? We must answer that from the Bible. This word is said by commentators to be the most difficult word in the New Testament. So I will spend some time with it right now. I do not know why they say that. And in my, I trust, humble innocence, it's because we're little babes and the Lord has just made it so plain to us, we can't understand why everyone else can't see it. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 8, it is all plain to him that understandeth. And this is one thing that's pretty plain. If I may give credit to one commentator, and I don't preach to you from commentaries. But last night before I went to bed, I pulled one off my shelf, and my wife knows I was punching the air for a Presbyterian. I don't do that very often. Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge attacks this passage just like he ought to. The other commentaries, some of which are in your online Bible program, are so disappointing and disgusting. I regret at times I ever gave that to you. What is the creature? Listen to this. Some commentators believe That when Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, said that our beloved brother Paul has written some things in his epistles that are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned rest to their own destruction. It was this verse and this word that was chief in his mind. Now, Why did I have you read 2 Peter 3 last night? Was it because I read that in a commentary? Oh no. It's because 2 Peter 3 does definitely relate to this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3 is describing a new heaven and a new earth. And Peter is saying that when Paul, our beloved brother Paul, writes about these things in 2 Peter 3, and what were these things? The new heaven and the new earth. Well, where did Paul write about the new heaven and the new earth? Romans 8, 19 through 23, he writes some things that are hard to be understood, which men rest to their own destruction. So when I compared the two contexts, I said, I like that. Can't prove it. I don't care if I can prove it. I know that Romans 8, 19 is difficult for most, but it shouldn't be for us. My brethren, many words are used In more than one sense in our common speech and in the Word of God. Please follow with me. This is exciting to learn truth that God has given us. But the Bible was written for you to open it up like a Dick and Jane book, like a Dr. Seuss book and read about green eggs and ham. The Bible was written so that you had to study it and be a workman and rightly divide it to arrive at the truth. Amen. It is written to hang men. It is written to confuse men. It is no different than the parables were given by our Lord to hide things from them and to reveal it to his apostles. And if we will be humble, and if we will come before God's word with humility saying, I cannot see it. I am a little child. Solomon, 1 Kings 3. I am a babe. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. He'll show us things. He's about to show us this. What is the word "board"? B-O-A-R-D. What is a board? I want to make a point with you, because there are there is a word in the Bible that is used over here and over here for you to say that they mean the same thing is folly. All right. And it angers me. I am so sick of wasting time for entertainment once in a while looking at commentaries who want to tell me that this word was used over here. Of course, they don't even use the English word because they don't believe their Jehovah God is able to keep His word. They're the ones that are serving that and doing that. They'll say, because it was used meaning this over here, it must mean that here. Oh, no, 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 that is not how any language works. And that is not how our language works. A word's meaning is learned by its context. How is that word used in the sentence that uses it? What is a board? Is it a piece of sawed lumber that the length is greater than the width? Is a board a place to post notices? Is a board a place for drawing with chalk? Is a board a group of senior executives and advisors to direct a company or an organization? Is a board the side of a ship? Is a board daily food, especially when furnished for pay? Is a board a flat surface for playing games? That is not the whole list. Do you know what the answer to the question is? Yes. A board is all those things. And how would you ever know what board you're talking about except by the sentence it's in? It doesn't matter that somebody was talking about a monopoly board over there in that book, nor if they were talking about the board of directors of GE over in this book of the Bible. The only way that we know what board means is the sentence that uses it. And we learn that in about the third grade when you're terrified in a and you want a little bit more time And you say, would you please use that in a sentence? That's how you find out what the word is. Now, if I just said spell board, how do you know whether I'm referring to board, as currently minded hearers are right now, that is spelled B-O-R-E-D, or whether I'm referring to food that is provided for someone in lieu of pay, when it's B-O-A-R-D, you say, would you please use it in a sentence? And the teacher says, you were bored during math. And you would know how to spell the word. Right. All of that is to tell you that when we find the creature, we don't care how it's used elsewhere. It's used in all sorts of ways, about as many as there are definitions for bored. <coughs> we want to know how it's used right here. Right. And that is how we rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. We don't mingle it all together and say, well, it's the word creature. So, creature over here, let's scrape that in here. That's what it must mean. No. We rightly divide it by finding how it's used in its context. And Paul told Timothy that is how he was supposed to study Scripture in 2 Timothy 2.15. The same word used in different places may not mean the same thing at all. It is by context. And I have tried to teach that in you young men. When you bury me and plant me in the ground, let there be one word screaming at you from my closed door. Context. Do you remember? I beat my wife last night. I hope that you'll ask for context. I beat her in Monopoly. I beat her to bed. I hope you'll ask for context. If you walk by me and hear me say that, the men all know what I'm talking about. Huge errors can be made. And they're made right here. I don't think this is the hardest verse in the New Testament. I've got a couple hundred others. They think it's the hardest. We use a two-step approach. What can it mean? What must it mean? If we rule out what it can't mean, do you know where we're going to end up eventually? With only one possible solution. What is the creature? I love the verse. Because it's talking about you and me. And being manifested, that is to be discovered, revealed, or exposed, or shown to the universe as the sons of God. No one knows who we are right now. Except the angels. They know. The world doesn't know. But we're gonna be shown to the universe to be the sons of God. He's gonna own us as His children. And Jesus Christ, without any shame, mind you, is going to say, they are my brothers. What a glorious thing is coming. Two-step approach to understanding a verse in the Bible. What can it not mean? Rule all those out. Get rid of them all. Then you may have one, two, or three left. And by looking at the context, you can figure that one out. What it actually does mean. What is the creature? It cannot include sinful men outside the election of grace. The context states the creature here has expectant hope of liberty. The hope is in verse 20 that That him, it is God, in verse 20, we'll get there soon enough. It is God that has subjected the same in hope. Reprobates have no hope. They are not subjected in hope. There is no hope held out for them in this world or the next. It says that they have the hope of the glorious liberty of the children of God, in verse 21. Reprobates do not have that. So the creature... We know that it cannot include, and there's a whole lot more that could be said on each one of these points, but at the rate I'm going, we'll be here for a while. It cannot be the non-elect. The context states that there is an expected hope of glorious liberty. This is not true of reprobates. They have no good expectation awaiting them at all. It is taught in both Testaments, the expectation of the wicked shall perish. What is the creature? It cannot include the devil and his angels. The context states the creature here has expectant hope of glorious liberty. The devil has no expectant hope of glorious liberty. The devil and his angels are awaiting an event, but it is not their expectant hope. It is their expected punishment. They met the Lord Jesus Christ with words such as, Art thou come to torment us before the time? They know their future. It cannot be the devil and his angels. They are reserved to eternal torment with no good expectation awaiting them. Plenty of verses to teach that. If you doubt any of these, ask me afterwards. We are doing Bible study together. What is the creature? It is essential for us to identify the creature to understand this passage. It cannot include the elect and holy angels of God. They are not waiting around to see who the sons of God are. They're already looking into these things that Jesus Christ has done for us. The context has this creature in verse 20 subject to vanity. It has the creature in verse 21 in bondage of corruption. It has the creature, in verse 22, in pain. Sorry, God's angels are not subject to vanity, in the bondage of corruption, or subject to pain. They are in the presence of God, rejoicing in His presence and doing His commandments. I hope you don't need a string of verses for that, although it's in my outline. I used to be worried about the number of pages in an outline for a book of the Bible. Then I got worried about the number of pages in an outline for a chapter. And now I've got trouble with the number of pages per verse. But I love Romans 8. I don't care if I die in this chapter. It would be a great place to die. Romans chapter 8. But Gerald told me a long time ago, he hopes he lives long enough for me to finish the book of Romans. Now, he told me that after the first five sermons we only covered two verses. I say that not to be foolish, but to just to get you to relax. Give me a few more minutes. What is the creature? I'm so excited. It is not wicked men. It is not wicked angels. It is not good angels. Absolutely cannot be. Context tells us so. Right. What is the creature? It cannot include or be the Gentiles or the Jews distinct from the other half of the population. That isn't the context in this passage. The apostle has argued before this chapter and after this chapter with these words. For there is no difference. And if you say Gentiles... Then you've got elect Gentiles and non-elect Gentiles, and we've already ruled out anyone that's elect. I mean, not anyone that's not elect, anyone that's wicked, we've already ruled them out, and the same for the Jews. To propose Gentiles as unwilling participants, verse 20, they're subject to vanity, not willingly. The Gentiles are very willing subjects of vanity, they chose it for themselves. How did they choose it for themselves? When God revealed the truth of His creation to them, instead of worshiping God, they made images made like unto man, four-footed beasts and creeping things, and worshiped those things instead, so that they are without excuse. But verse 20 tells us that this creature was subjected to vanity not willingly, but by someone else. Are you with me? I want this to be be so cut and dried that you're just celebrating because you see it as plain as day. Right. Paul's whole purpose before and after is to get rid of Jewish Gentile distinctions. It's in chapter 10, in the middle of his dealing with the Jews, that he says, For there is no difference. Most Gentiles are not in the election, so they have no part in an earnest expectation. Do you know what some commentators will say? All men want immortality. That's not what this is teaching. Right. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not for finding the fountain of youth in South Florida by Ponce de Leon. Thankfully, he found malaria. Amen. They don't know what they're looking for and they don't know how to find it. God has given it to us. Amen. And it's better than the fountain of youth. God's election and hope of glory is not racial or national. The Gentiles as the creature are not waiting to see which Jews will become the sons of God. That's a commentator. The creature are the Gentiles waiting to see how many of the Jews are going to accept Jesus as their Savior to become the sons of God. It's disgraceful and shameful that such thoughts would ever originate in a thinking man. The Gentiles could not care less about Jews being God's sons. They despise them for what they are Jews. They're a byword in the earth. Have been for several thousand years. Shall be. It's not Gentiles or Jews. There's no distinction there between a national group or a racial group of one wondering about the other if they're going to be the sons of God. That's not taught anywhere in the Bible. That doesn't match the context. Neither group is going to be universally saved. So that means that some of them are not elect, which means that they have no expectant hope of any deliverance. What is the creature? Well, it's not bad angels or good angels. And it's not bad men. Maybe it's good men. Maybe it's God's elect. So the creature are the sons of God. So if the sons of God are waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Interesting. Let's see how they run this one. It is true that Paul used new creature to describe regenerate elect in two places. 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 6.15 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Circumcision availeth nothing but a new creature. Galatians 6.15 Now because we have... Board, meaning a monopoly board in one book of the Bible, or the board of directors for GE in another book of the Bible, does that mean it has to mean that in this book of the Bible? Not at all. Listen. He, the Bible also uses creature for barbecued ribs in 1 Timothy 4, four. Every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. That's in contrast to Roman Catholics who forbid the eating of meat. Right. I'm not making fun of the Bible. I'm making fun of men who corrupt the Bible. Amen. The word creature. Every creature of God is good. What does that mean? Every pig that you can find and cut its ribs out and barbecue them. Every barbecued rib is good. And I've learned to appreciate them in the last three years. My poor mommy, the only way she knew how to fix a pig is sausage and bacon and ham. She's from Canada. They don't barbecue ribs up there. Maybe they do now. But you know, it was just a few years. I'm 53 years old, and I had to wait 50 years to have barbecued ribs. Some of you may say you're so deprived. I know. Buckies Wednesday nights or Friday nights, all you can eat, ribs. That's First Timothy 4.4, 4, but it's the word creature. Every creature of God is good, including a pig. Pepperoni pizza is in 1 Timothy four four. Should we bring pepperoni pizza into Romans eight nineteen? It has just as much right to be there as a regenerate, converted child of God in 2 Corinthians five seventeen or Galatians six fifteen. There is no superiority to bring it in here. It doesn't matter how it's used elsewhere. Just like the word bored, it does not matter how you used it two weeks ago when you were talking to someone else. The way that we understand the sense of the word bored is by its context, and the way we understand creature is by its context. But let's go ahead. Let's try their idea. But first of all, they have no evidence to support them at all. They are making an assumption, and we don't do that. We are going to let the Bible prove itself. In fact, if we read a little closer, we find out that they don't even have a match. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 6.15, it's a new creature. Here, it is not a new creature. This creature is an old creature. It's only been created once. A new creature had to have been created twice. Because it results in a new man and an old man. They're not even being fair with the word of God. New creature does not equal creature. New creature means it's been created twice. We've been quickened from the dead. We've been regenerated. Do you know what re means? We've been born again. Do you know what again means? It means that that is a very different thing over here called a new creature as opposed to the creature. If we run with this simplistic naivety, we have sons of God waiting for the sons of God. When Paul wanted to describe our waiting, he uses no such confusing double talk. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, does he have the sons of God waiting for the sons of God? And not only they. That is a third party. Third person. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, separate from they within ourselves even we we've got two different groups of people here not the same group that's double talk of someone who doesn't want to study very hard new creature does not equal creature now look at verse 821 because the creature itself also because the creature the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. How many things are there in verse 21? How many categories of things? Two, at least. The creature itself also. What does also mean? It's an adverb that something's going to happen to it like something is going to happen to another thing. In all natural considerations, I belong in a bank, not in a pulpit. But by the grace of God, this is simple. Right. Because I trust my English Bible. And I don't care about the aorist, passive, voiced verbs in Greek or any other language. I trust what is right there in that 21st verse. Because the creature itself also. Meaning that it is separate from the children of God and the glorious liberty that they are going to experience. Verse 23, the first half of it. And not only they, but ourselves... Is is that adverb in there again? Also. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit. There are two things under consideration. We, the children of God, and they, the creature. Second half of verse 23. Even we ourselves, this is not just that other thing called the creature, but we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. They ain't the only ones groaning in verse 22. We ourselves are also groaning. There are two things under consideration. It is not the sons of God and the sons of God. Which is what those who try to make the creature, meaning the new creature, do. Throughout this short section of five verses, the creature and the whole creation are distinct from the sons of God. I just showed you in the language. Three different verses out of the five make it very plain. To me it's plain in all five. For the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creature and sons of God are not the same thing. One's a singular collective noun, vaguely understood, and the other's carefully defined in context of what he's been talking about since the 14th verse. I'm going against most everyone I know. But there have been many brothers in the past who held what we're about to say the creature is. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love your word. It's so plain and obvious. What is the creature? We've ruled out what it can't be. It can't be evil men. It can't be God's elect. It can't be evil angels. It can't be good angels. It can't be a Jewish-Gentile distinction of some ridiculous sort. What in the world is the creature? By rejecting the options that cannot possibly be true, we are left with about one more option. And the blessed Holy Spirit, the God of heaven himself explains what he meant by creature, if you would just read far enough. He calls it the creature in verse 19, the creature in verse 20, the creature in verse 21, and tells you in verse 22 what it is. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. This is the way we always study the Bible. This is what I do when you don't watch me. This is what scares me. This is what I pray for, that I will rightly divide the word of truth. This is what makes me sweat bullets inside. This is what causes me fear. This is what makes me avoid reading books, because they mislead. We reason in the Scriptures. And I'm reasoning with you in the Scriptures, what it cannot be. And then the Holy Spirit tells us in the 22nd verse what it is. The context satisfied our inquiry so that we can return to verses 19, 20, and 21 and use the whole creation. But now remember, we've already excluded some parts of the whole creation, so it's the whole creation excluding good angels, evil angels, good men, evil men, Gentiles or Jews considered, or humanity. Right. Humanity does not have an expected hope. They may be groaning and travailing because of their foolishness, but they don't fit in this passage. And we've already proven that, and I hope well enough that you're totally satisfied with it. The point is so clear that you're supposed to know something in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, And that this particular part of creation, called the whole creation here, because it's obvious there's things that aren't included, you say, well, you're making an assumption on me. Okay, let's go back and work on something from Psalm 8. When Psalm 8 says, Thou hast put all things under his feet, what does it mean? Does it mean that all things are under his feet? Or do we understand from 1 Corinthians 15 that God is not under the feet even of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that how we compare Scripture with Scripture? Right. Yep. So when it says whole creation, we've already ruled out what it can include. Is there anything left? When we get rid of bad angels, good angels, bad men, good men, humanity, Gentiles and Jews, is there anything left? Let's see if we can make a short list. Dirt. Is dirt left? Are dandelions left? Is the sun left? Are pigs left? Are wild hyenas left? our clouds left our tsunamis left our floods left is rust left is corruption left is decay trees sea land moon earth rainforest robins Worms. Is there a lot of things left? Good. So we have a whole creation that is left. You know, if we had read the Romans carefully, we'd have already understood it. Because Paul introduced us to this subject in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 when he said, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. What things is he referring to? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Psalm 19. They are without excuse because the creation reveals God. And verse 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Now why don't they want to run new creature into Romans one twenty five? David Taylor, my dear friend of many years, why don't they run new creature into Romans one twenty five? who worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. David knows why I'm calling on him. I I love it. Okay. Whole creation. What is left? It's all irrational creatures and inanimate matter. Right. All the animals, all the birds, all the fish, the octopi included, in the sea. Flipper, Lassie, Rin-Tin-Tin, The sun, the moon, the earth, the stars, the clouds, all of that is included in the whole creation once we've ruled out everything else. Now by considering what is said of the creature in verses 20 through 22, which we're now calling the whole creation, excluding angels and men, when we read the description of it, we see it being true. The whole creation is groaning in travail. The whole creation has been subjected to vanity against their will. Right. The dirt didn't ask to be cursed. God cursed the earth because of our first father's sin. Right. In Genesis chapter 3, thorns and thistles, do you think they existed in Eden? You don't know the God I worship. There were no thorns and thistles in Eden. There was every tree that was desirable to eat good fruit from. Do you think that they're actually burnishing the brass in heaven? Do you think that they're polishing the gold? That the street sweepers at night come out and buff the gold so that it shines like transparent glass that you read about? Do you think that? There wasn't even rain in Eden. Because God would never rain on a picnic or a parade until we asked for it by sinning against our Father in Heaven. A mist went up that watered the whole earth. There was no tsunami. Lions ate puppy chow and that's all they ate. Lions did not eat lambs. The plants of the earth were the food of all the creation. The Bible doesn't tell us that Noah took two lions on board and 60 extra dogs. He took plant food on board the ark because that's what they ate. Do you know that right now, in this world, there are millions of animals terrified as far as an animal can be terrified? Do you know that there are animals right now being torn to shred by other animals? Where does that death and destruction and mayhem come from? Our first father. He ruined it. You have never imagined what this earth is going to be like. You know, there are little commies that sit around smoking their marijuana and they come up with a thing called utopia. They can't even approach our utopia. Their utopia is all you get to eat and to have is what you need. And everything else you produce we're going to take and steal. Because that's what we believe should happen in communism. They don't know what utopia is. I'm talking about a perfect universe, a perfect heavens, and a perfect earth. No laws of thermodynamics. It'll never suffer entropy. Entropy is the decay and transfer of energy. There won't be any. This whole earth is winding down. This whole universe is winding down. It's all messed up. The creature is expected because it's a personification of the whole creation of animals and dirt and sun is under the burden of sin because God cursed it. He drowned every living thing, including every beast of the field and every fowl of the air with the flood in Genesis chapter 6. And on and on we can go, but let's go back very quickly and close. I'm so sorry about the time but Romans chapter 8, for the earnest expectation of all inanimate matter and irrational creatures waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For all inanimate matter and irrational creatures were made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of God who hath subjected the same in hope. There is hope for the whole universe because God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. I make all things new. This is our gospel. Because, verse 21, irrational creatures and and inanimate matter also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Everything dies because death was brought into the universe by our Father. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's using a personification to describe inanimate matter and irrational creatures that are under the burden of a corrupt world system because of our father's sin. They eat each other. They starve to death. There are tsunamis that drown them. There are forest fires started by lightning that burns up thousands of acres of trees and the animals in it. Our God is not a God of destructive force like that until we bring a three-letter word into the equation called sin. Amen. Right. And the Lord Jesus Christ has destroyed sin right. Amen. for His elect. And they shall inherit a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and no sin. You ain't ever seen nothing like it, and I can't even tell you about it. But if you love kitties... The neighbor's pit bull is never going to eat one again. Everything is wonderful that's coming. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Praise God. This is Romans 8, verse 19. And that whole creation out there is waiting to be delivered from the bondage of corruption our first father put on it, because it'll be a new heaven, it'll be a new earth, and we will inhabit it forever. There's the sons of God, us inhabiting this freed universe from the groaning bondage of sin and corruption. The time is at a close, even though there's much more to be said. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may we love, love our Bibles and love the truth and love our Savior who bought all this for us with his own precious blood.